Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle And I'm Amy Spreeman, and we hope you enjoyed our last episode. It was titled Worship with Laramie Minga. Now, Laramie is one of G3's worship workshop teachers, and he was so kind to answer our listeners' questions about worship. So don't forget to go check out those show notes of that episode to get all of that information if you want to sign up your pastor for G3's worship workshop or an expository preaching workshop. There are quite a few of them. That's right. Pastor Appreciation Month is coming up in October, and a G3 workshop is a great way to show your pastor how much you appreciate him. And speaking of appreciation, we want to express our appreciation to Natalie for her gracious PayPal donation and to Brandy and Rebecca for becoming new patrons. Don't forget, listeners, when you donate a minimum of $10 via PayPal or you become a new patron at the $10 level on Patreon, as a special thank you, we will send you the link to the webinar that Amy and I recorded a while back called Discerning Women, Learn to Discern. Just go to a awordfitlyspoken.life and click on the support tab and you can get all the details. Yes, and thank you all so much for all of our past and present donors and patrons. We truly appreciate your support. And now, as they say, on with the show. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, Michelle and I released part one of our summer edition of Glad You Asked. Uh, That's where you send in your questions, and we answered uh, as many of them as we could. There were so many great ones. But we had several questions left over, so we thought we'd try to get to as many of those as we can tonight in part two. But before we do, uh, we want to add a little bit to one of our answers from Glad You Asked part one. Now, a listener wrote in and asked which Bible translations are our favorites and which ones we recommend avoiding. And after we recorded that episode, we ran across another so-called translation that we want to add to that list of those that you should avoid. That's right, Amy. It's called the Common English Bible, or the CEB, and I'm kind of dubbing it the translation because if you read, yeah, if you read certain passages of it, that's exactly the kind of pronoun palooza Mm, that it sounds like. So what happened was is that on Twitter, I ran across a woman pretending to be a pastor who was using the CEB's version of 1 Timothy 3, which, as we know, that's the passage on the qualifications for pastors. And she was using that that version of um, 1 Timothy 3 to sort of justify herself and her position. Listen how she was able to do that. Uh, hit pause, ladies. Go grab your decent Bible translation, whatever it is, and turn to 1 Timothy 3.1 and attempt <laughs> to follow along as I read aloud from the CEB. It's uh, very, <laughs> well, it's interesting here. Okay, so this is from the CEB. This is 1 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. This saying is reliable. If anyone has a goal to be a supervisor in the church, they want a good thing. So the church's supervisor must be without fault. 
they should be faithful to their spouse, blah, blah, blah. And it just continues on from there with they, 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 they. Wow. You know, that's extremely misleading, gender neutral language. You know, not to mention all the other ridiculous and inaccurate wording they choose. A a supervisor in the church? What in the world is that, Michelle? You know, no wonder that women chose uh, the CEB to try to make it seem like it's okay for her to be a pastor. That's probably one of the reasons it was written with gender neutral language in the first place. And, you know, I don't do pronouns like that. No way. So in addition to the others we mentioned last time, you definitely want to avoid the common English Bible or the CEB. Alrighty. So why don't we get, why don't we leave that behind and let's get to part two of Glad You Asked. Uh, Michelle, what's our first question for tonight? Well, here's a question I think a lot of our listeners have either asked or maybe they've wondered about, especially if they're new. This one was uh, from a question on my Instagram. She said, I'm a new listener. (laughs) Yay. Thank you very much. I'm a new listener, and I want to start listening at the beginning of your episodes, but iTunes only goes back to episode Hmm. 116. Where can I listen from episode one? Okay, so just to let everybody know, our first episode was August 15th, 2019, and it was called Walking Away from Christ. So I just want to let you know that, you know, wherever you might be listening, if you get back to that episode, that's as far back (laughs) as you can go, because that was our first episode. So I checked into this, and here's what I found. First of all, our website archives don't even go back to our first episode. They only go back to December of 2019. Um, Amy, I poked around sort of backstage at the website to see if there was any way we could adjust the archives to include all our episodes on the website, but I hmm. couldn't find anything. And its I'm not very techie. It's possible I was looking in the wrong place. Do you know if there are any adjustments that we can make so we can go all the way back to episode Well, you one? are right, Michelle. And I gave it a shot as well. I even uh, looked at our, our RSS feed. And uh, wow, it, it looks like I'm just going to need to go and create an archive page that lists them all just, you know, title and link all the way back to day one in the beginning, if as it were. So uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah, I know you just need one more thing to <laughs> yeah, do. <laughs> that's all right. This is this is so, worth it. <laughs> give her some yeah, girls, yeah. Um, listeners because she's she is super busy and we appreciate everything that she does. Well, after I checked around on our website, I started checking around on the various podcast platforms, and I did find three places that you can listen all the way back to episode one. The first one is the Podbean website. Now, not the Podbean app. That doesn't go all the way back to episode one, but the Podbean website, and that is a wordfitlyspoken.podbean.com. And then both of the TuneIn websites, the the TuneIn website and the TuneIn app go all the way back to episode one as well. For the app, you'll have to search for TuneIn in the app store on your device and then type in a word fitly spoken into the search bar uh, in the app. Um, And we'll put the links to the TuneIn and Podbean websites in the show notes for you. But you can also find them just by going to the homepage of our website, a wordfitlyspoken.life. And when you get there to the homepage of our website, just scroll down to the icon for Podbean or for TuneIn and click on it, and it'll take you directly to our archives on those sites. So, Amy, our tech guru, <laughs> anything else to add no, about that? No, very, very good catch to our new listener. And want to let you know that by the 
time this podcast drops, uh, that archive page will be up and running on our site, and uh, you can just go back and uh, listen to those early days if you'd rather just do it that way. All right, so our next question tonight is from an anonymous listener on Facebook. We will call her A, and here she she writes this. She writes, My brother-in-law, my husband's brother, is living a homosexual lifestyle, and he and his partner recently adopted a baby girl. My question is, how do we navigate this biblically? They don't claim to be believers, though the brother-in-law grew up in a Christian household, and we obviously want to show love to them, especially that beautiful baby girl, but we don't want to give the appearance of celebrating or agreeing with their sinful lifestyle or add to the confusion for our own young daughter. So we've told them before why we believe homosexuality is a sin, so they have heard what we believe in that arena. I just get stuck with how to move forward. Well, thank you for writing that, A, and this is a tough one to navigate emotionally because it's a dear family member and there's a a little one involved. Navigating it biblically is a little bit easier. So first we want to point you to, uh, we're going to point you to some scripture in a second, but uh, one of our episodes we did titled Christmas Dinner with the Sexual Sinner. Uh, It was one of our more listened to episodes. A lot of people clicked on that. And I think that's because so many people are dealing with this issue right now. But I want to let you know that your brother-in-law, even though he may have grown up in a Christian household, and even if he were going to a church right now and claimed to be a Christian, he really isn't. And so you will be treating him and his partner as those who are outside of the church rather than as Christians. And I say this not to be mean, but because anyone living in unrepentant sin can't really be regarded as a Christian. Uh, many of you have told us that you are in a similar circumstance or you know, you have loved ones or family members or neighbors or coworkers who are either embracing their own sexual sin or maybe they're giving approval to and normalizing other people's sexual sin. What we are talking about is the kind of sexual sin that seems to be getting a wink and a nod, not only from our society, but now even from some in the visible church. And I say visible because it's not the true church. It's it's what people see. So let's take a look at scripture. God's word says in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 32, though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And then in that same chapter, chapter 1 of Romans, uh, skipping ahead to verse 9, it says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a viler, a drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those on the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. 
All right, so God makes a clear distinction between how we treat sexual sin outside the church and how we deal with it inside with people who are professing Christians. In other words, don't associate with immoral people inside the body even to eat dinner. Go ahead and judge them. That's what exactly what God's Word says. Paul is saying this, but uh, to those outside of the church, he says, those will be judged by God, not by you. Uh, that's the category your brother-in-law falls into. So, uh, yes, A, you know, go ahead and have dinner with them. You're not going to have them sleep over, of course, at your house, or at least not in the same bed, because even if they claim to be married, God defines marriage as between one man and one woman. So your household needs to operate within his parameters, uh, God's parameters. One thing you do need to do, and you mentioned this a little bit, is keep first and foremost in your mind that these two uh, men are perishing. They are facing an eternity in hell. And your job in, as a Christian is to help in whatever way you can that makes sense and glorifies God. You know, they already know from what you said what Christians have told them about their sin. So maybe this time don't start with their sin. Start with their need because you know that they need to know their need. They need to know their Savior. They need to know uh, that their sins can be forgiven. And that beautiful baby girl does too. So maybe you offer to babysit. And as she gets older, tell her about Jesus and show them your love and your care for them, just as you would any other unsaved sinners in your family. All right, Michelle, anything to add to that? Well, I just think that was a really fantastic answer, Amy, and I, I completely agree with you. I think it's really important, like you were saying, to distinguish between people inside the church and people outside the church, because um, when you have someone who's living a lifestyle of, of willful, unrepentant sin, that person is... Um, you know, that person is not saved, even if they proclaim to be. And if, if they proclaim to be and you believe them, then you don't have the same gospel intensity, the same sort of urge to share the gospel with them, which is what they, they really need. Um, and so I, w- I would just say, yeah, keep that in mind. Uh, for all of our listeners, I don't know if our, the person who asked that question was in that boat or not, but uh, for all of our listeners to keep that in mind. And then for the listener who asked the question, um, I would just say, you know, you may want to um, to get with your pastor and get some counsel as as things come up. Uh, get just bounce some things off of him, or if you have a, a godly older woman in your church, uh, maybe someone who's been through the same thing, or maybe a, a couple who's been through the same kind of thing with a loved one that can give you some good godly counsel. You know, from time to time, as you need it, as things come up that you're dealing with with this family member, and so um, that's. That's all that I would add. I think you really covered it really well, Amy. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get to some more questions. I want to see if I can answer several what I call quickie questions. They're, they're sort of answer, uh, questions that have sort of quick, short answers to them. Um, this first question is from Veda. I think that's how she says her name. It might be Vida. I'm not sure. Uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, Veda or Vida. Uh, and she asked this on my Facebook page. She said, what is your view of women reading scripture and praying in the morning worship service? 
Well, we actually discussed that in our last episode, Worship with Laramie Minga, which we mentioned at the beginning. So we're going to encourage you to go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. We discussed that a little bit with him. And also, I've got an article on that that we're going to put in the show notes for you. Long story short, neither a woman reading Scripture verbatim nor a woman praying are technically a violation of Scripture, as long as she doesn't veer off into preaching or instructing while she's doing that. And I'm sure we have all heard someone praying who is instructing us while that person is praying, man or woman. So I think we all know what that that can sound like. Um, There can be some situations in which it isn't wise or in which it can be a stumbling block to the congregation for a woman to pray or read scripture. So pastors would really need to exercise wisdom when making that decision for their particular church in their particular situation. And then, of course, if your church starts having women pray or read scripture all of a sudden when they've never done that before, you might want to keep an eye on that situation or talk to your pastor about it because that could be, although not necessarily, it could be the first step on the road to egalitarianism. Yeah, I agree, Michelle. It only takes one degree off of the narrow path before eventually you wind up in a ditch. And I I will say that a few years ago, we were going to a church that was pretty solid in teaching, a master's seminary type of church. And the worship team did have women reading scripture once in a while. And I suppose it was not really crossing any theological lines, but I just remember coming out of my old church feeling really uncomfortable only because I'd come from a seeker megachurch where women were preaching. And for me, it was just hard to know where that line should be. I was just learning. So uh, to, I, I say this just because not everyone is uh, going to perceive things the same way. So we all have these different, uh, I guess, baggage, if you will. So anyway... Yeah, you know, I I kind of feel uncomfortable the same way with it. Even in a doctrinally sound church where I know something is, you know, nothing is going wrong, and I can rem- sit there and remind myself, technically, this is not a violation of Scripture. It just makes me uncomfortable because of this environment that I'm immersed in, where there's just this constant barrage of women trying to preach and usurp authority and whatnot. So uh, I just that's a that's a challenge for me that I have to. Um, um, I have to remind myself, you know, of what Scripture says, and we have to be careful not to make a law where there is no law. So, great answer, Amy. All right, this next question is also from Veda or Vita. She says, what is your view of Christians drinking alcoholic beverages? My husband and I have been married 60 years, and we have always believed that it was a sin to drink. Now we hear that it is a secondary issue. Last I knew, sin was sin no matter what we want to call it. We believe it is scriptural that alcohol is sinful. I hear people say that it is only drinking in excess that is sinful, but no one takes that first drink believing that they will become an alcoholic. All the churches around us believe it's okay for Christians to drink. Even the pastors. I know this is between the individual and God, but if I as a Christian see it as worldly, what do the unsaved see? Well, can I just say, first of all, congratulations on 60 years of marriage, and thank you for setting such a good example for the rest of us. We're My husband and I are coming up on 30 years, and I know Amy's got a few more years Uh, on us than that. 33, 34, but who's counting? (laughs) Happy anniversary, whichever your next anniversary is. All right, so we answered this question at length, delving into all the appropriate scriptures in our episode called Christian Liberty. 
So we really want to encourage you to go click on that link in the show notes and give that whole episode a listen because we did, like I say, we dealt with it at length and we really jumped into the scriptures on that. Um, first, we always want to remind you, you know, when when listeners ask what is our view or what is our opinion, that Amy's and my views and opinions are exactly. not important. And neither are yours, listeners. I'm sorry, but they're just not. The only thing that matters for any of us is what Scripture says. And Scripture does not say that the mere act of consuming alcohol is a sin. It just doesn't. There may be any number of cases in which it might be unwise, unhealthy, a poor witness to drink alcohol. And, you know, certainly Christians should not be frequenting bars and being in on that kind of scene. But the biblical fact of the matter is that putting a moderate amount of alcohol into your body is not intrinsically sinful, according to Scripture, even though some churches still teach that it is. You will not find a single verse of Scripture that says that alcohol is sinful. And as you have correctly been told, the Bible only prohibits drunkenness. So you're absolutely correct when you say that this is between the individual and God. And I commend you for having the discernment to understand that this is indeed an issue of Christian liberty. All right. My, my response? I agree, Michelle. Exactly right. And uh, that's a quickie answer to a quickie question. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, our final quickie question in this little segment comes from Emily on my Facebook page. And she says, is there a difference between pastor and minister, especially in reference to church staff? And I think she means the title pastor and the title minister. What's the difference there? Um, generally speaking, I don't think that there really is a difference that I know of. I mean, in my experience, the words pastor and minister have always been used pretty much interchangeably in society and in the church. You know, like if your cousin asks you, who's the minister of your church, you're generally going to answer him with the name of your pastor. Um, when my husband was in music and youth ministry and on staff at various churches, his title was always minister of music or youth minister. That's not as popular and cutting edge, you know, these days as the title worship pastor or student pastor, but it means basically the same thing. Um, off the top of my head, I can really only think of two other differences that there might be. First of all, I'm a lifelong Southern Baptist, so that's where my experience with the terms pastor and minister comes from. I suppose it's possible that in other denominations that I'm not as familiar with, that they draw more specific distinctions between someone with the title pastor and someone with the title minister. I'm just not up to speed on that. I, I don't know about that. So if someone is really drawing a line there, you might want to just ask them you know, to explain to you what's the difference between pastor and minister. And then the other thing that I would be careful about is a woman who's on a church staff with the title minister. Of course, we know that it's not biblical for women to be pastors, whatever right. their title might be. And it's not biblical for women to go by the title of pastor because they're not. Uh, but sometimes you'll have a woman on a church staff that they've given the title minister to so they can sort of slip her into a pastoral position that's unbiblical for a woman. And then when someone questions what they're doing or why that woman is in that position, they feel like they can honestly answer, no, we don't have any women on staff as pastors. 
They'll have a woman who's a discipleship minister or a youth minister or a senior adults minister, and she's acting as a pastor, but they feel okay with that because her title is, quote, minister, not pastor, even though that's unbiblical and in many cases is deliberately deceptive. So I would be on the lookout for that as well. Amy, any thoughts on this one? No, uh, you covered this really well, Michelle, and I also am not aware of uh, any difference between the two titles, pastor and minister. So uh, if we have an astute listener out there who might be able to fill us in, that would be great. We would love to uh, hear from you. You can contact us on social media, or you can uh, simply go to our website, awordfitlyspoken.life, and uh, connect with us that way. All right, our next question comes from Facebook from Samantha, and you're going to hear why I picked this one in just a second. Uh, My mom, she writes, is at a church where a woman is a pastor. I have shown my mom where this is a sin and out of God's order. Is there a way to show her that she may be in sin for knowing it's a sin and still staying at the church? Is this a sin for her by going to the church? All right, well, Samantha, here's why I picked your question. My mom also goes to a church where historically, well, the last three ministers or pastors have been women. Um, there was one guy, a man who was hired as an interim preacher for about six weeks until a permanent position was filled by a woman. Um, I don't know what it was, but he was not well received. <laughs> but um, the entire congregation apparently wanted somebody more nurturing and uh, more mom-like to lead them. Oh, boy. So the current minister has a special needs child uh, at home right now, and her husband, who was also a preacher, I think he still is, uh, divorced her, she says, because he couldn't handle having a special needs child. So here's a woman in a job she should not be in, ignoring the job she was designed for. I'm, I'm sorry, that's just not right, but I digress, and it's a mess. Um, you know, and Samantha, I'm really glad that you tried to show your mom uh, the error in this situation, but, uh, you know, and I have to, you know, is it a sin for our moms to be going to a church with a woman pastor? Yeah, but I can tell you that we can only present the truth, Samantha. We cannot open people's eyes to it. That's the Holy Spirit's job, and we him. So one resource that I do want to point you to, if you haven't heard this already, is our recent podcast episode titled, Is Women Preaching a Secondary Issue? Well, the short answer is no. But Samantha, it's also not a primary issue either. What it is, is a sin issue, a rebellion issue. So we're going to put the link in the show notes for you. And I really encourage you to share this with your mom and ask her what her thoughts are after she's listened to it. Just see where she's at. Uh, Because one thing I do know, uh, old mamas sometimes have a much easier time accepting wisdom from someone else's daughter than they do from their own. I don't know why that is, but it's worth a shot. Anything to add, Michelle? I don't think so. I think you covered that so well, Amy. And I know these situations can be really tough, especially when it comes to family. So, you know, don't ever think that we don't know how you feel because we do. We have the same sorts of situations in our own families with our own friends and things like that. Yeah, we sure do. And we're just all in the same boat together. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm so sorry you're going through that, Samantha. Okay. Uh, I'm sort of loving the quickie questions tonight, so I'm going to tackle a few more of those. 
Um, this one is from Vanitha on my Facebook page. She says, how to address new age, mysticism, Enneagram, etc., creeping into small groups slash churches, and the teacher is confident it's, quote, Christian and doesn't see anything wrong with it. Mm, yeah. Well, Vanitha, hold on to your earbuds because we've done a bunch of shows on these topics that we're going to direct you to. We've linked up these episodes in the show notes, so just click away and check out these episodes, okay? Okay. How to talk to your church leaders about false teachers. That'll kind of help you know how to go about addressing your, your church leaders. And then on the subjects that you talked about, we've got Mystical Mess, New Age in the Church, yeah. From New Age to New Creation with Doreen Virtue. We did our interview with her. Ooh, that was a good one. Yeah, that was yeah. great. Top seven reasons the Enneagram is unbiblical. The Poison of the Enneagram, that was our interview with Marsha Montenegro, and that was really yes. great. And then Christians, the Church, and the Occult. Now, after you listen to those episodes, you might want to pass one or more of them along to the teacher and ask if she'll discuss it with you. If she still gives you the brush off, just keep working your way up the chain of command, talking to people until you get to someone who will listen and will do something to correct the situation. If you get all the way up to the pastor and he doesn't see anything wrong with it either, it might be time to find a new church. And we've put a link in the show notes to help you with that, too, in case you end up needing it. But I, I hope you won't. Sometimes, you know, um, we can start talking to people and they just didn't realize these things were wrong. And and uh, once you start talking to them, then they they're, the Lord uses that to open their eyes and, and they really start uh, realizing what's wrong there. And speaking of finding a church, here is a question from Miyoshi on my Facebook page. She says, what does a family do if there are no biblically solid churches in their area? It's important to remember that gathering with the church body is not optional or some no big deal kind of thing for Christians. It is a command. And if you're truly born again, you'll want to obey all of God's commands, including Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. The first thing you want to do is start praying. Ask God to make a way for you to obey His command to gather with a local church body. Next, go to that link in the show notes that I just mentioned titled Searching for a New Church and exhaust every single church search engine there. Search in every town within achievable driving distance of your house. I've worked with a lot of people who think there's no good church in their area only to find one that they didn't know about once they check those church search engines. So hopefully you'll find something there. Um, If you've scoured every search engine and you are so rural that there isn't a church, even a bad one, within a couple hours drive, and I'm not suggesting you go to a bad one. I'm just saying if you're that rural, you've got two options that I can think of. First of all, you can move somewhere else. Yes, it is that important to find a good church. Um, I'm a little more hesitant to tell people to move these days because it seems like churches are just turning apostate right and left, and you don't want to go through the upheaval upheaval of moving, you know, selling your house and moving and buying a new house and all that 
only to have the church you're moving for go woke or embrace egalitarianism or just turn out not to be as doctrinally sound as you thought. So if you're going to move for a church, do some heavy-duty research first. Watch a bunch of their worship services. Study their statement of faith very carefully. Schedule a Zoom call or two and uh, politely grill the pastor. You know, schedule a Zoom call with him and, and interview him about the church. Make sure it's a church with a decades-long track record of being doctrinally sound. That's that's uh, really important that you do that before you move for a church. Mm-hmm. And that's option one. Now, I think option two is much better, and that's this, church planting. Now, don't let that term freak you out. I'm not saying that you and your husband start a church out in the middle of nowhere all by yourselves, okay? I've got a couple of church planning organizations in that link that I mentioned, so you could contact them. But most churches are planted by other churches, not by church planting organizations. So what you'll want to do is find the doctrinally sound church that's closest to you, contact them, and start a conversation with the pastor about his church planting a church in your town. That way you don't have to move, you get a good church nearby, and if you have any neighbors, they need a good church too, so it's a win for everybody. If you live in an area without a good church, it's going to take some work to get one. I would encourage you not to give in to the temptation to give up before you even try. No one ever got to see God do great and mighty things that way. Amy, any thoughts on either of those questions? Yeah, as you were um as you were sharing, Michelle, I was thinking about this group that I'm in. Um, you know, you know me, I like chickens and cows and planting things. So um I'm in a group called the Reformed Homesteaders, Reformed Homesteaders, something like that. And um a lot of them are very rural and they have to drive some of them are driving ninety minutes to two hours uh one way just to go to a good church. And you know what they say, a church that's alive is worth the drive. You know, and I'm thinking, well, that might be true, but some other things to think about is, are you able to drive more than just an hour one way on a Sunday? Can you really serve your brothers and sisters in Christ with that long of a distance? Uh, Can you participate in group prayer, uh, Bible studies, potlucks, and other fellowship opportunities and serving opportunities? So, um, you know, and I'm not saying don't do that because you don't want to go to a, a doctrinally unsound church, but these are just a few questions that you need to uh, add to the equation as you're thinking and praying about these things. Yeah, I agree. And we need to really um, make sure we have our priorities in order yeah. because it is great to to live rural. And believe me, I know what that's like and everything. It's it's wonderful to be out there in the wide open spaces. Maybe you're, you have a farm or, or whatever. But being in church and being with the body is more important than yes. that. It's more important than almost anything in the world. So, um, yeah, so really consider, you know, your priorities and make sure that being in a good doctrinally sound church is near the top of the list. Yeah. First Jesus, church, close second. So, Amen, sister. <laughs> All right. Well, our last question comes from Cheryl, and she writes, Is it biblical for Christians to participate in the Lord's Supper outside the church, or is this and baptism strictly an ordinance of the church? All right, Cheryl. Well, um, thank you for writing. I'm not sure if you meant 
uh, to participate outside of your own church. It sounds like you meant participating in these things outside of any church, okay? So uh, remember what the church is. It is anyone and everyone who is saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, and not by her own works. So if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, if you're born again, you and your brothers and sisters are the church. And as the church, we can participate in the Lord's Supper together. Now, some churches do have a closed communion policy, even uh, for other believers who are visiting, which is really unfortunate, um, my opinion. And some churches are wildly heretical. You don't want to participate in the Lord's Supper at these places, even if you're there visiting a family member's or a friend's church. And, and as far as baptism goes, now, this isn't quite the same as participating in communion, where you're taking elements, um, you know, and the Lord's Supper is really done together, but it's also a very personal communion with you and God. And in baptism, I know it, it sounds like a cop-out, but I'm just going to say it depends, right? And you need to use wisdom here. Um, and also, how are you defining what you mean by participating? Are you watching from the sidelines? Are you in the water with your loved one getting dunked? Are you a visitor sitting in a pew or a chair watching from the back? So just some, you know, some deciding factors that you may want to uh, consider, uh, talk it over with your husband or your pastor. But, uh, you know, we gave the example before of uh, the homosexual couple who had the little girl. And, you know, certainly if they were going to a church that allowed uh, their baby to be uh, baptized, yeah, you would not want to participate in in that service. So again, that that's one example of many, many different situations that can be in there. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that may or may not be problematic. Michelle, any theological lines with baptism that should not be crossed? Uh, yeah, and I think we might have found one thing where we disagree. Can you believe that? Oh. After all this time, we might have found an uh, issue we Two years, disagree. three years. <laughs> yeah, we disagree a okay. little bit, but don't worry. I don't think we have to break fellowship over this. I think we can still oh, be friends. Oh, that's good. Uh, we can still <laughs> love each other. We don't have to be mean to each other or anything like that. Uh, my perspective would be that both baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of the church. Now, when okay. I say that, what I mean is... Uh, and. It, also, it depends on what she means by participating. Like if you were saying to, yeah. wa to watch a baptism, you can certainly do that in any doctrinally sound church. Um, that's, right. that, there's no problem with that. But um, except in some sort of extraordinary um, circumstance— my position is that baptism and the Lord's Supper should take place in the local church, not, say, in a parachurch ministry. You know, if you belong to, I don't know, let me just think of something here. Uh, if you're in some sort of pro-life group that's not, you know, it's not connected to your church or whatever, but it's a group of Christians, and at your Thursday night meeting, they say, okay, let's all have the Lord's Supper together. I don't think that's appropriate. Ah, it's, okay. It's, okay. it's an ordinance of the church. Now, if you're visiting another church that's not your home church and they are having communion that morning and they say, you know, if you're a baptized believer, you're welcome to participate with us, that's fine. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, that's where I was going with that one. I wasn't even you, thinking about, are you, kidding? you know, do doing we actually it agree of, on this? <laughs> I, I guess now that you're talking about it, I was thinking the other, I was thinking actually in a church, like you're visiting a church or something like that. Uh, I wasn't thinking like a Thursday night, um, young life meeting or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of the question I get sometimes. Is, oh, okay. can, can my parachurch ministry do the Lord's Supper? Um, yeah. Or, you know, it's uh, some sort of deal where, you know, you and five friends are hanging around on a Friday night and, and somebody says, hey, why don't we do the Lord's Supper together? Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's I, not what I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's not where well, I was going with that. So maybe we well, agree after ooh. all, but. <laughs> I guess we actually agree. Uh, baptism as well should be performed in the church by, or not, it doesn't have to be in the four walls of a church if you don't have a baptistry in your church. You know, if you have right. to go out to the lake or whatever, that's fine. But I'm saying it, it is an ordinance of the church. It should be performed officially by the church. Um, and it is because it's an initiation into, uh, besides being a personal testimony of your salvation, it is an initiation into the church. It is, uh, right. the first step of membership into the church. And so, um, that, that would be my position. I, I don't think it should be taking place casually outside the church, um, outside the worship service, um, you know, just yeah. with your friends or whatever. So uh, I think we really need because it's it's not just a it's not just a sort of um, casual thing. This is a serious thing, um, and and we need to to keep it that way and keep it keep it an ordinance. I know a lot of times we get scared of what we would might call rituals or, or what we might think of as as uh, you know religious. Um, things that we we do or whatever because it can seem like those can be dead rituals and and uh we get too you know maybe people think we get too serious about it or whatever uh right. because we we all just love Jesus and and we do and we have a personal relationship with Jesus but there's also formal things that we do in the church and baptism and lord's supper are two of those things so that that would yeah. be my position there. And so I'm sorry, listeners, I guess Amy and I kind of agree on that. <laughs> I thought we might well, we were, we were we so hoping. On. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> I know Michelle was hoping to have a violent disagreement with me right here on the radio waves here. But <laughs> no, but you know, I, I was, you know, when you hear questions, you don't really know the context. So yeah, I, w I was thinking like, say you're visiting another church and yeah, you know, yeah, that, that's where I was going with that. So yeah, good points. I'm really glad you're here to, uh, to give me that perspective because I wasn't even thinking about outside of the church. So, well, I really enjoyed all of these questions. I, I know there are many more we didn't get to, but you know, we do these shows from time to time where we just invite these questions in because I think they're important to talk about, Michelle. And I think that, uh, our listeners have some great ones. Well, you know, that's going to wrap things up for another Glad You Asked episode of A Word Fitly Spoken. We're going to do this again from time to time. So don't forget to check out all the links we mentioned today in the show notes and take advantage of all the resources at our website, awordfitlyspoken.life. And until next time, look to scripture for the answers to all of life's questions and walk worthy.